Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. I'd like to invite our speaker, Paul Schnabel. Paul is a husband to Jody, who I happened to meet in Fry's yesterday. He's a dad to Austin, and he's a St. Patrick's parishioner. Paul's been around for a few years, but one of the ministries, incredible ministry, Paul's a dynamic speaker. He goes out and does training and that type of thing. But one of the ministries that Paul does here at St. Pat's is he works with our youth liturgy. And what he does is he sits at about 4 o'clock every Sunday afternoon with our kids, our high school kids who are proclaiming the Word of God. And he and his team, they do an incredible job to prepare our young people. You know, we have like 25 kids just lecturing, just lecturing at St. Pat's on Sunday night. And, and they do an incredible, incredible job. And Paul and his team is, is one of the reasons for that. So as Brian said, our theme is uh, living beyond Sunday through the Beatitudes. And that's going to be the theme, the Beatitudes for our men's mass and breakfast. And Paul is the first speaker to talk about that. And he's going to apply the Beatitudes to your life. So without further ado, here's Paul Schnabel. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you. You know, I was reflecting this morning. The first time I spoke at this prayer breakfast was 2010. And Kevin was so impressed, it only took eight years for me to get another invitation. Amen. I'm so glad the first five guys that you asked to speak today turned you down. So it's really good to be here. And um, I got to admit, it's a little nerve-wracking presenting in front of my home parish and a group of men. So I stayed up all night last night rehearsing this presentation. I delivered it 37 times. And guess what? You loved it. Greg's going, I did? I'm like, yeah, you really did. So I'm just a regular guy. I'm usually sitting where you are, right? I'm just a regular guy who's trying to get better in all the roles that are important to me as a man, as a husband, as a dad, as a son, as a friend, and as a follower of Jesus. And what I've come to believe is that God's will is better than my will. So as Kevin mentioned, I do speak for a living. I train and I consult in the areas of sales and leadership development. But in my heart of hearts, I'm a storyteller. So today I'm going to tell you some stories. And the first story I'm going to tell you is about myself and my family. So I'm originally from Boston. Whoa, wait a minute, how did that get up there? How did that get up there? Been out here 20 years. I'm told I still have a bit of an accent. Is that true? Yeah, okay. So one of the first years uh, we were here at St. Pat's, I was in the, um, the Passion Play with Jack Sarawiz, Jack. There he is. And I played Pontius Pilate, and I remember afterwards Father Eric said, you know, I had no idea that Pontius Pilate had a Boston accent. <laughs> Have you no answer? Do you not see the charges they bring against you? I, I thought it brought more gravitas and depth to the role. But I'm smart, I'm wicked smart. So, so um, originally from Boston, uh, moved out here 20 years ago, married my wife Jody in 1991. Um, she's originally from Texas, she was living in Denver, I was living in Massachusetts. We met at a trade show in Florida at a hotel hot tub. So I think I'll leave it at that. <laughs> if you wanna know more about that later, I will talk offline. So Jody moved to Boston. 
Boston, and uh, originally being from the South, it's really hard to get used to the winters up there, and so after about seven years, she was like, you know, I don't see myself getting old here. Kind of being a sensitive guy, I tuned into the fact that if I wanted to continue and have a happy marriage, that maybe we ought to relocate to a warmer climate. So I came out here in July of 1998 for a conference, and I was kind of tired of the winters too, and it was 110, but it was sunny for four days, and I was looking to start my own business at the time, so it all just sort of came together as an epiphany that maybe we should move to Scottsdale and I can start this speaking practice. So I flew home and shared my idea to Jody and she said, well, I've never been there, but it's not here, so let's go. <laughs> so, so three months later, we'd sold the house and moved out here with our family. And uh, this was our first Christmas card photo taken in 1998 with our son Austin, who's here today. Thank you, Austin. And, uh, he was four at the time. We're really grateful the reindeer ears fell off. We thought we were going to have to have them surgically removed. But we didn't know a soul, literally. We know no, knew nobody when we moved out here. And we just sort of picked a spot on a map, and we ended up renting an apartment for six months, thinking, let's use that time to find our permanent home. So we moved into an apartment down at Thunderbird and 94th, and within the first couple of weeks, Jody found St. Patrick's in the Yellow Pages. Anybody remember what Yellow Pages are? Right? So she found St. Pat's in the Yellow Pages, and the Mass used to be in here, those of you that have been around for a while. And uh, I, we walked in, and all, Paul was not here yet, but the music ministry was playing All Are Welcome. And I had never heard that song before. And I've got a big ego, so I thought, that's just intended for us. Like, we're new. This must mean us. How'd they know we were new? But it really touched our souls, and we really felt like this was a home for us. And so it didn't take very long afterwards, after looking for a house, to decide, you know what, we need to live here. We need to live close to St. Patrick's, because we need to make this our spiritual home. And it's been our spiritual home ever since. This was a picture we took for the parish directory a few years ago. We also moved my mom and dad out here in 2005. Some of you may recognize my mom, Helen, on the left. She was very active in the senior ministry for many years. She's still with us, but she's in an assisted living center not far from here. My mother-in-law, Cora May, on the right, she moved out here in 2010 after my father-in-law passed away, and we lost her two years ago. But they just love St. Patrick's. They love St. Patrick's like we love St. Patrick's. But the best part about it was they all had their separate masses. So Cora went to the 5 o'clock on Saturdays, and Helen went to the 10.30 on Sundays, and we went to the 5 o'clock on Sundays. So it was just perfect. The other thing that was perfect is we didn't realize it at the time, but our son Austin would develop quite an affinity and talent for baseball. And so this is a great state if you like baseball, right? If you want to play baseball, watch baseball. So he ended up going to Notre Dame Prep, and in 2013 ended up leading the Notre Dame Saints to their first and only state championship in baseball, right? With Jay. And of course, who did they beat? Sonny Slope. I think Father Eric's still a little resentful about that at this point. So he had a chance to play pro ball. We turned it down. He got a scholarship offer from the University of Arizona, went to play for the Wildcats for four years, had a number of nagging injuries that precluded him going on past college to keep playing ball, but he had a great experience. We got to the College World Series two years ago, came within one hit of winning the national championship, and I think he had a lot of fun in college, right? Right. right. Uh, <laughs> here he is photobombing our good friend Darren Sutton and J.T. Snow before a ball game one time. 
And uh, the thing that stands out in my mind the most was when we moved Austin into his first off-campus apartment, and it was me and Jody in Austin. And I remember we were at this Walmart in Tucson, and mom and son were shopping for his new apartment, and there was just so much love and joy. I, I, I just had to take out my camera and take a picture of it. You ready for this? Doesn't that get you right here? <laughs> Just amazing. So the grace of God in St. Patrick's has made me a better man, and that's really been my focus. It's can I get a little better each day? Can I grow in my faith? Can I get a little closer to the Lord each day? And I think I first learned that philosophy back in high school when I played baseball in high school. And we were pretty good. And we got a little cocky, as teens are apt to do. And the coaches caught wind of this. So they pulled us together one day and they said, you know what, guys? You're either getting better or you're getting worse. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. There's no maintain the status quo. There's no rest on your laurels. There's no coast. Because when you coast, there's only one direction you can coast. And what's that? Downhill. So I think that applies to my faith as well. I gotta get better every day because I gotta become spiritually fit because I can't see the challenges that are ahead of me around the corner. Because you know, sometimes in life you get what you want, sometimes you get what you need, and sometimes you get what you get. And so being spiritually fit is really important in planning. Remember, Noah, when he built the ark, it wasn't raining yet, okay? So planning ahead. Now, I got to admit, I didn't always live that way. When I was young, I thought it was bulletproof. I was arrogant. I thought kind of trying to follow God's will would be boring. So I chased after all the things that this society tells us are important. All you have to do is watch TV for five minutes and you get it. It's, some, it's something like this. Once you get fill in the blank, then you'll be happy, right? And that's a lie. It's a complete lie. And it started for me, I remember, in elementary school. Boy, when I get to middle school, that'll be a good deal. And then I get to middle school, I'm like, that's not such a good deal. High school will be a good deal. And then when I was in high school, I'm like, well, college will be a good deal. And then when I got to college, like, well, I can't wait to get my first job. And then it's like, I can't wait to get the next job. Happiness was always just out of reach. And so I had to wave the white flag. I had to surrender. I had to realize that I didn't have a clue about right living. And I had to start sort of reconnecting to my faith and trying to discern and follow God's will. Now, Kevin mentioned the Beatitudes, and I'm super happy that as a parish we're focusing on the Beatitudes this year. And one of them that really resonates with me is this, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I mean, Jesus chooses his words very carefully. Think back to the time of Jesus. These were people that were familiar with being hungry and being thirsty. People were never far away from starvation or dying of thirst. So people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for Jesus, will be satisfied. And this beatitude forces me to take a look in the mirror. And it forces me to say, do I do this? Do I hunger and thirst for Jesus like a dying man? And I have to be honest, some days the answer is yes. And some days the answer is no. But to me, this is the key. And the key is humility. 
to have the humility to recognize that I myself am nothing without the Lord. It is the Lord who doeth the works. I love this definition of humility, freedom from pride or arrogance. Pride, one of the seven deadly sins. I think it leads the list, right? Pride and ego. Ego, you know what that stands for, right? E-G-O, edging God out. <laughs> when I'm full of pride and ego, I've got no room for God. I'm running the show, and it doesn't work for me. I need to be able to turn my will over to God to try to discern God's will, to try to follow in his footsteps. Humility has a bad rap in our culture. It with weakness. But in fact, humility can be your greatest strength because you're not relying on your own strength. You're relying on the strength that comes from close relationship with the Lord. To me, humility is about this. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's getting out of your own head and figuring out what can I do for the Lord today? How can I serve the Lord in my work and in my play and in all the interactions that I have? And when I live like this, I see more God moments. I see more evidence of God working in my life and in the lives of others. I'm in nature and I see God's beautiful creations. Sometimes God whispers, right? But sometimes God shouts. And one of those moments happened to this gentleman some years ago. So everybody remember Fonzie, Henry Winkler, right? So I, I had heard this story many years ago, and I wasn't sure it was true, but then I shared a flight with Henry Winkler from LAX to London one time, and I asked him if it was true, and he swore it was true. So here's the story. So back during the halcyon days of happy days when he was at the peak of his fame, he wanted to go see a movie, but he wanted to sneak in so nobody noticed him. So he sneaks in the side door and takes a seat in this row and sits next to this mother with this little, little girl, maybe five or six years old. And the little girl looks over and she sees Henry Winkler and her eyes get huge. And she starts to point and she goes, Fonzie. And Henry Winkler, to his credit, immediately kicks into Fonzie mode. He goes, yo. And the mom passes out. And she finally comes to, they revive her, and the first words out of her mouth are, my little girl is autistic. And that's the first word she's ever spoken. God moment. God moment. Big God moment. Sometimes God's moments are huge. Sometimes they're more subtle. Sometimes God speaks in a small, still voice. But sometimes God takes the wheel. And that's happened to me especially at a critical time in my life. So back to Jody and I. So when we met, she was living in Denver. Then she had a chance to transfer to Boston with her job. So she did, and she got an apartment. And then we kind of started dating in earnest. And after about a year and a half, she was kind of thinking, well, you know, it's probably time for this guy to pop the question. But I wasn't in any rush, you know? I mean, I'm a guy, right? So. You've heard of the crawl, walk, run strategy. I was kind of like a crawl, crawl, crawl some more, crawl some more strategy. Because, you see, I, I was waiting for the relationship to become perfect. See, I had, I had had my heart broken before. I wasn't that fast to give my heart away again. So I was waiting for the relationship to be perfect before I made a bigger commitment. Jody was getting frustrated, I think and a little impatient, but evidently so was the Lord. So there was this night in February of 1990. So let me set the stage for you. 
I'm at her apartment after work on a weeknight taking fish out of the oven. This, by the way, is a reenactment. Okay? It's a reenactment. I don't eat white fish, so this is, this is a reenactment. Okay? So one thing you get to realize about me is I'm a big fan of the institution of marriage. I've had great role models in my life. Aunts and uncles, my mom and dad were married almost 60 years happily. My in-laws married almost more than 50 years happily. So I was all for the institution of marriage. I just wasn't ready yet. I felt I was too young. I was 32. <laughs> I was a baby. So I wasn't ready. Okay, where was I? Oh yeah, so here I am at her apartment on a weeknight after work taking fish out of the oven. Now one other thing you gotta realize about me, I'm a planner. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm a planner. When we go on vacation, I create tables that this is what we're gonna do, not just on this day, but at this hour. I mean, I'm, I'm a thorough planner. So if I had planned to ask her to marry me that night, it would have been a show, trust me. I would have had marching bands, llamas, God knows what. I mean, it would have been a show, but I had no such intentions. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, here I am at her apartment on a weeknight after work, taking fish out of the oven, when all of a sudden I hear myself saying these words. What do you think? You want to get married or what? <laughs> now... I didn't say those words. I watched myself saying those words, and the part of me that was watching myself saying those words was going, no! What are you doing? So it's clear to me that the Lord had enough, that knew better than I did, that God's will is better than my will, and stepped in. Now, Jody, to her credit, recognized an opportunity when she saw it. She said yes. And in that moment, in that God moment, everything changed. It was as if a light switch got turned on. Because you see, I had it backwards. I had it backwards. I felt like the relationship had to be perfect before I made the lifetime commitment. When in fact, by making the lifetime commitment, the relationship became perfect. God moment. Big God moment for me. And throughout my life, I've had enough of these God moments, enough of these moments where God has carried me through low spots and challenges in my life that I've, I'm learning to let go and let God. I'm learning every day to turn things over to God, to trust in God. And that's really at the heart of another beatitude, and, which is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Cause and effect, kingdom of heaven. I want the kingdom of heaven, don't you? How do you get it? By being poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Father Eric talked about this in his homily last Sunday. Being poor in spirit means you recognize your utter and complete dependence on God. And then it's not about material possessions. It's not about the home you live in or the neighborhood you live in. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about the anything, any of that. It's not about the work you do. It's about how well have we loved and how well have we trusted in God. And when I do that, my life goes better. Now, I've got to put in the effort. You being here this morning demonstrates to me that you take your spirituality, you take your faith seriously, you're here this morning. But I've got to make the effort. 
Jesus can do miracles, but I've never heard this at 6 o'clock in the morning. Put the coffee on you, Paul. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. He doesn't do that, right? I've got to make the effort. I've got to make the effort to get up and to spend time in prayer, to read. I, I loved Father Mark's homily today. It's real simple stuff, but it's powerful. Spend 10 minutes in the morning praying, reading his word, reading other inspirational literature, just having some quiet time to reflect. I try to do that every day. When I just take 10 minutes to do that, the rest of my day goes better. I'm more centered. I feel like I'm in a better position to receive God's guidance. When I don't do that, I go off the rails. Little things annoy me. People annoy me. You know, I become like the conductor of a play or a symphony orchestra. I'm like, why can't people just follow the rules? Why can't they just do what they're supposed to? And then I'd be happy. You know, we'd all be happy. I'd be, I, I, I'm a control freak when I'm not praying, when I'm not trusting in God. So I've got to put in that time. I've got to put in that effort. And at the end of the day, as Father Mark mentioned again, just reflect on my day. What, did, what worked well? What could I have done differently? What can I do better tomorrow than I did today? There was a nun in Massachusetts that I used to know, and she had a favorite saying, and it was this. God seems far away, who moved? If God seems far away, who moved? Right? So I've got to put in the time. So these are just a few ideas. These are things that have helped me throughout the years to stay close to the Lord, to try to discern his will and to follow his will. One is to, to love people. You know, I used to think love was just an emotion. It's not. Love is a decision. Love is an action verb. And you never know what kind of stuff people are burdened by. You never know what kinds of pains they're carrying around, what kind of hurts they're carrying around. I'm actually amazed people keep it together as well as they do most of the time. And what I've learned is that we tend to judge ourselves on our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. So let's assume positive intent and let's love people. Stay teachable. Don't harden your heart. Be open to the urgings of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Be willing to change your mind. Be willing to do things differently. Because remember, insanity is doing the same things but expecting different results. Stay teachable. I do leadership training. I work with leaders. There's change going on constantly in the world of business today, and I think in our world as well. And there's a quote by a gentleman named Eric Hoffer, who was an educator, that I always use, that I think applies to them, but it also applies to our faith. During times of change, the learners will inherit the earth, while the learned are perfectly equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. So I try to be a learner versus learned. I try to not know, think that I know it all, but continue to be open to the urgings of the Spirit through prayer and quiet time and reflection. Don't be a jerk. Remember Father Eric had this as an Advent theme a few years ago. I think Father Martin, the Jesuit, started this. But if you can't be nice to somebody, at least don't be a jerk. At least don't ruin their day, right? If the dry cleaners messed up your order, don't take it out on the clerk. It wasn't her fault. You know, try at least to, to not ruin people's days. If you're having a bad day, don't spread that around. Put in the effort, right? We've talked about that. Put in the time. Put in the effort. It's kind of like going to the gym. So I go to the gym, not often enough, but I do go to the gym, 
And, you know, I see this one guy there, he's got the towel around his neck, he's got the bottle, he's walking around, he's talking to people, he's getting water, goes to take a sauna or a steam. I never see him lift a weight. <laughs> but he's at the gym. I'm not sure what kind of results he's getting, but he's at the gym. You know, so if you want results, you've got to put in the effort. You've got to put in the work. And you've got to trust that by putting in even 10 minutes a day, if, if you're not used to to spending that kind of time. Try it. Do an experiment. Take note of how you're feeling today. And then for the next 30 days, make a commitment to spending at least 10 minutes in the morning and maybe some time at the end of the day in communion with the Lord and see if it works for you. See if you feel better at the end of 30 days. Conduct your own experiment. In summary, the way I like to think about this is less Paul and more God. Less Paul, more God. Less about me and my little plans and my wants and my needs. Make it more about the Lord and discerning his will and trying to follow it. So one of the prayers I pray, and I don't even remember where I learned this, but I learned it many years ago, and I say it every morning. It's the Oh Sweet Jesus prayer, and it would mean a lot to me if we could say it together right now. Okay? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. O oh, sweet Jesus, I desire neither life nor death, but your most holy will. You are the one, O oh Lord, that I long for. If it be your holy will to have me die, receive my soul, and grant that in you and with you I may receive everlasting rest. If it be your holy will to have me live longer upon this earth, Please grant me the grace and the strength and the courage to go forth and to do good works that glorify your holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. So in closing, I'd like to share one last story, one last God moment that really transformed my life. And this happened about maybe 15 years ago. I used to run a retreat on an annual basis for a group of moms from Brophy Prep, and we used to have it up at this retreat house in Sedona. And one of them, one year, had a connection at the Enchantment Resort, which is a pretty good deal. The gig didn't pay much, but they put us up at the Enchantment, so I'm taking the gig. So right next to the Enchantment is this trail to Boynton Canyon. Any of you familiar with Boynton Canyon, right? It's, it's, it's a sacred place to Native Americans. It's just exquisitely beautiful and I had never been up there before, and it's this, not a hard trail, but it starts in sort of this high desert, goes up into the pines, and then it comes up to the head wall of the canyon that just opens up to this magnificent view. So this was a Sunday morning. We had to get back to the valley. I probably had to fly out the next day, but I wanted to do this hike, so I got Austin and Jody going. I'm like, okay, let's go. We gotta get this done. We gotta see this, and then we gotta get home. So we start hiking. We start trucking along. We're heading up into the canyon. Austin wanted to take a break. I'm like, no, 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 we got to get going. we got to get to the head of the canyon. So we're hiking along. We get up to the head of the canyon, probably do a few selfies. Spent like three minutes there. Isn't that beautiful? Yep, okay, let's go. So we start walking down. I'm like the drill sergeant, right? We're walking down the trail. And about five minutes after we leave the, the head wall, this couple passes us on the way up, a man and a woman. And the man's first, and he's kind of panting and out of breath, and he says, how much further is it? And I said to him, I said, oh, it's only about, you know, five minutes more. I said, but the view is worth the hike. And the woman comes up behind him, and she heard me say that, and she looks me in the eye, and she goes, the hike is worth the hike. 
and it was as if I got struck by lightning. The hike is worth the hike. The journey is worth the journey. And in that moment, that God moment, I realized how much I had missed walking in. So on the way out, it was a completely different experience. We saw all these beautiful plants and flowers and trees and animals and things that because of my wanting to get to the destination, I missed all the beauty along the way. So that has really stayed with me. And it's really stayed with me to not rush through my life, but to be present in the moment. And I believe that's where we meet God. I believe that's the only place we can meet God is in the moment. Not in the past if we're obsessing about the past, and not in the future if we're worrying about the future. We can only meet God in the present. So Jody and I share birthdays in September, and we typically just do one celebration, and usually we go out to dinner or maybe we go up north or something. This year we decided to get tattoos. Why not, right? So what I chose for my tattoo was a cross and a heart to represent the two great loves of my life, my faith and my family. And when I look at that, I'm reminded that when I hunger and thirst for righteousness, that when I'm poor in spirit, that my life goes better and that I get a little better every day in all the roles that are important to me as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a friend, and as a follower of Jesus. And for that, I am truly grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian Disciples in Mission, 